I felt like an alien in my body. And it's just, you know, you know that, like you can feel that voice. That's like, this isn't, I'm not well, like something's wrong. I don't feel like myself. I don't want to feel like this. This cannot be just because it's normal doesn't mean it's okay. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman, and I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future, to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before, and all who will come after. Jema. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. I hope that you all had a wonderfully relaxing and non-triggering Thanksgiving holiday with your family. As I record today, it is the Monday before Thanksgiving, and it's just hitting me that here we are. And then it's a quick, quick ride straight into the Christmas holidays and the new year and having three weeks off from school. Can't believe it's already mid to late November. It's wild. And it's always a moment for me to really look at what I accomplished this year, what I didn't quite get to this year, what my focus is going to be for 2020. Just taking stock of where I am in my work and my dreams and my family and my manifestations, all of that. And I do feel like 2019 has been a huge year of growth for me. My word or mantra that I chose at the beginning of 2019 was expansion. And I do really feel like I've started to take lift off into that and I'm expanding. Um, the podcast has been a big part of that. And also just my work in the postpartum world and into motherhood coaching and all that that's bringing up for me and my clients. And it's a really exciting time. So I am amped and looking forward to expanding even more in 2020 and being of service. This week's episode, I am so excited about. It was really just luck, honestly. The guest is Elise Lunin, who as Almost, I'm sure all of you know, is the chief content officer at Goop and co-host of the Goop podcast. And she's just such an inspiring woman in the podcast world for me. I mean, really, she's my favorite podcaster. She's so smart and knowledgeable and well-rounded and just has the most amazing guests. And anyway, her work is just very inspiring to me. And I also just so appreciate how she gets in there, she asks the deep questions, but she also brings a really personable, human, feminine aspect to her questions and is very real and humble. Anyway, so I just reached out to her about six months ago on Instagram and I just said, I'm so inspired by you. Would you ever want me on my podcast? And she wrote back, yes. And so that's how it happened. It's usually something I don't do. I don't really cold call people. I'm naturally very you know, Scorpio introverted, and I don't ever really want to bother people. But I'm slowly stepping out of that because I realize the things that I want and to share with all of you aren't going to happen if I don't have 
you know, the ovaries to get out of my comfort zone and ask people for either interviews or just insight or feedback or whatever. So this was actually a really beautiful example of the universe kind of in a way rewarding me for just getting out of my comfort zone and asking. Because if you don't ask, there's never a chance for people to say yes, right? So it's going to be no unless you ask and maybe get that yes. But I am so grateful for Lee's this is really just a, such a gift for me and it was really fun. And um, I hope you enjoy the listen. And I'm sure everyone that listens to my podcast is listening to the Goop podcast. And they launched last March. March 8th was their first episode. It was Gwyneth with Oprah. And I launched last March on the 20th. So kind of feels like, you know, we started around the same time. They get millions and millions and millions more listens than mine, but um, you know, there's space for all of us. So I'm just grateful to be doing what I'm doing and to connect with those that inspire me and hopefully inspire you. And it was interesting preparing for this because a lot of my podcast interviews are just very um, gut-driven and being in the present moment. Most of my guests have been my close friends and body workers and workers in the birth world. And so I know enough about them and I don't have to prepare a lot. And I don't actually like to prepare a lot because I really like to see where the conversation just naturally goes and organically moves without me trying to control it too much. But with Elise, you know, I've never met her before and also knew I had a very finite amount of time to get in there and to talk about things I want to talk about and also be in the present moment and let it organically unfold as well. So it's kind of, it was finding that that balance. And I've really tried in the past couple of days to not be beating myself up or looking back and wish that I'd asked other questions or more questions or, you know, swapped out ones that I did ask. But I'm just trying to have a lot of self-forgiveness for myself and you know, we could only cover what we could cover. But I did want to just go through a couple of the podcast episodes that I love and I recommend if you haven't gotten into Goop yet. And all of these I could have spoken to her about for at least an hour because I love her guests. She really gets incredible, incredible guests. So some of my tops, just if you want to dive in to the Goop podcast and um, here are just some of my referrals or my recommendations. First of all, Stan. You know I love Stan Tatkin. He's my man. I love him so much. As I've shared on here before, uh, my husband and I have gone to him and continue to go to him when we need kind of an up-level upgrade. We went on his retreat last spring with him and his wife, Tracy. and. Um, his episode is on February 19th and is entitled How to Be with the Partner You Picked. And so that's my top, Stan is my top episode fave. A uh, couple of other ones I love is August 27th, Esther Wajiki, How to Raise Successful People. She's incredible. She has three just amazing daughters that are heads of like uh, YouTube and 23andMe and the other one's like this huge doctor. So love, love her episode. I've listened to it a couple times. because so I also, as a mom and a working mom, I don't always finish a podcast episode, but I'll start one and then I'll finish, you know, 
it, it'll be interjected. So I actually just listened to uh, part of Esther's again last week when I had time for about a 20-minute walk. I just put the headset on. Loved September 17th, Sally Krawcheck, CEO of Elvest. Really inspiring for money work. If you're doing any work of your own money story or abundance, that is a must listen to. Uh, August 22nd, Dana Childs, Why We're Not Broken. Love that one. Got some really little fabulous downloads in nugget form from that one. One I loved, uh, February 26th, is actually with Gwyneth and Elena Brower, who's an old friend and yoga teacher on divorce and self-forgiveness. That is a must-read if you're going through divorce or wanting to separate or going through a separation. She co-wrote a book that's really beautiful on you know, consciously breaking up and going in your own way, but like doing it in such a beautifully profound way. Love the one with Gwyneth and Misty Copeland, December 6th. December 4th, Kelly Brogan, who is amazing. Wellness guru and doctor. Those are, I guess, my my big faves. Oh, and then of course, Dr. Oscar Saralak. That's June 28th. That one's entitled, Are You Still Recovering? from pregnancy years later. Through his work with Goop, they also wrote a book about um, the depletion cure, which is huge if you're a postpartum mom or you're pregnant and going into your postpartum. Really, really a great read. And it's also on Audible, so you can listen to it if you don't have the bandwidth to read books anymore or not right now. Uh, Just the importance of really looking after yourself. I mean, he's completely encapsulates everything I'm passionate about working with women in the first 40 days postpartum and, you know, being on top of it nutritionally, sleep, getting your labs done, you know, taking supplements if you need to, which I feel like most of us, if not all of us, definitely do. And uh, that's a must, must listen. That's from June 28th. Another one I loved is February 14th with Bill Clegg on addiction and recovery. That's the title. So anyway, I love... I've listened to, I think, all of, maybe a few on Goop I haven't listened to, but I've listened to most of them. They're 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 one of my top podcasts. But anyway, I hope you enjoy this listen with Elise. And again, I, you know, I really wanted to let it be organic, but also I have so many questions for her. I still have so many questions for her. But anyway, she was really an expander for me and an inspiration. And I'm just so grateful. So... I hope you enjoy the listen, Jayma. Hi, Elise. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. As I was just saying, you're such an inspiration to me and, you know, within the podcast world, but also just as a working mom and mother. And um, I'm just so grateful to be with you today. Thanks. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. It's hard. It's like hard to receive that sometimes, like as a working mm-hmm. mom. Because I'm like, oh, but my kids. I know. But you do so much. Yeah. You really do. But it's hard. It's a mess that you can do it all. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an auspicious day here in Los Angeles. It's pouring rain. So it always feels like a good omen. I know. Um, so I want to be very mindful of your time. So I just want to jump on in. And there are little... You know, with every podcast interview that you do, I gleam such magical nuggets. And, you know, I think that's really 
a testament to how professional and good you are and how smart you are (laughs) (laughs) because you're efficient, you know? And I I so appreciate that as a mom because I don't have two hours to listen to podcasts. Yeah. And all my mom friends, you know, it's like really a big deal. I know. I think it's, I don't understand why two hours is such a norm in podcasting. I mean, sure, if I'm driving to Kansas or something, but I can't, I don't under, it's a a major expectation. And if you're at all OCD or you need to, feel complete. Totally. It's too hard to start something that's impossible to finish. Mm -hmm. Yes. The completion is such a key note because I just want to listen. I want to walk away with some nuggets and like go about my day. Yeah. And it really is those the nuggets. And I think that's one of the things that we all feel here at Goop and and sort of what we've heard reflected back is that whether it's at an in-Goop Health or in a story on the site, that change is often inspired by just one small resonant sentence totally that feels true and that that alone can often be enough to sort of ignite a wildfire of 100%. self-reflection so that's really yeah. like the, the goal one moment one aha well you're doing that oh thank and you and i listen to them again because i, I don't always finish one <laughs> so I'm like oh yeah but a circle back and yesterday i was listening to um esther mm and I just, you know, I got other little amazing things, yeah. know, like on a 20 minute walk. And I was like, oh my God, it's like these epiphanies. So, yeah. and I, I just, you know, you're so great at picking such well-rounded guests and from different perspectives, which I think is such a huge gift too in hosting a podcast that's reaching so many people. Yeah. You know, part of that I think comes from wanting to sit in this place of non-judgment mm-hmm. And often people will say, oh, well, you're just, you know, giving people a platform and you should be questioning them. And to me, like, I, I only ever want to be in a position of, of learning and not in a position of knowing. Mm-hmm. And so I also, you know, I feel like we try to, not that we can't ask hard questions or push, but that we really want the podcast to be a place where people can hear things and decide for themselves. Mm-hmm. And we want it to be a place of non-judgment. Because I think as moms, all we do in the world is navigate. We're either judging ourselves, we're feeling judged by other people for the choices that we make. And the more that we can train ourselves to sort of restrain from commentary or even like arguing or pushing or like, I, I, I think it's a good practice because I think it allows us to be like live and let live. Yeah. Like what works for me might not work for you. I don't need to push what works for me on you. Totally. But if there's something there for you, I want you to have it. Yeah. And also changes, right? So through our motherhood thing, because we can have a newborn and have really specific thoughts and not connect with someone. And then a year down the line, we're like, oh, now I get what they were saying. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. It's all about time, timing, messenger, um, and message. Yeah. And and people need to hear different things from different people totally. at different points in time. Yeah. And one thing I really love about how you interview is, you know, you're so concise, you're to the point and you're mom, so you have to be efficient with your time. Right. But then also you're really coming from a place of femininity and heart. So is that something you've always kind of brought to your work or is that something you consciously mm. do in your interviews? I think that I have grown into it. You know, I think I've gotten past a point of um, needing to prove myself 
And so wanting to just be able to sit back and be open um, and to make people feel safe because they don't share when they don't feel safe. Um, And I also try to watch my own anxiety by preparing. So I have come to learn in the process of interviewing a lot of people that I am, I'm, what makes me rare is that I prepare, which is kind of sad. But, you know, I will read people's books. Mm-hmm. I make notes. I, I don't really create questions in advance, but I'll sort of, I'll type up um, quotes from the book so that I can sort of hit on those moments that seem particularly resonant. But it's amazing how many people will say, oh, I've heard about you. You actually read the book. Right. And to not do that yeah. seems disrespectful, not only to them, but to the audience. Yeah. So what I do, and I learned this, this saying comes from Jennifer Rudolph Walsh. She was on the podcast, who I love as a mentor. She's the power agent at WME, who really knows how to be in her divine feminine and masculine simultaneously. Like she is fierce, but she's also mothering and warm. And, but she is like, you know, I, I think she said like, prepare like hell so you can wing it. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of how I like to be yeah. in the moment and not thinking ahead about what I'm going to say that will sound really smart or my next question or how I can cut the person off to get there. But um, like wanting to reflect back to them that I'm actually hearing them and just sort of trusting that it can go from there because I'm prepared. Yeah. I love that. And then it, you know, then it wanders around organically. Yeah. But you're, you're showing up. In right. a different way than a lot of people. Oh, thank you. And I love that interview with her, by the way. I know. She's rad. She fired me up. I was yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> See, that's what I love because I, you know, getting exercise time and my walks is so great. And then I listen to your podcast. No. That's awesome. And it's really inspiring. And I think for women, you know, I'm trying to be the voice for my doula clients, my, my mom coaching clients. And, you know, it's that whole thing, what you just said of, preparing, doing your legwork, and then letting it all go and mm-hmm. trusting your intuition, which I think we all need to be doing more of. Yeah. And the universe sort of laughs at yeah, best totally. laid plans. Yeah, I mean, exactly. speaking of childbirth, I I um, had both of my kids at St. John's, which is a hospital mm-hmm. in Los Angeles, with a very conventional doctor who was great, not perfect. And he sort of inspired me at Goop in a unique way, even though I'm so grateful for my for, for the way that he got me through childbirth. But then after I was like, I, I felt very unseen and unsupported. Mm-hmm. But um, the nurses, I remember with Max, my first child, who's now six, when I showed up and she was like, do you have a birth plan? And I was like, no, I just, I just want a healthy baby. I just want to, like, I'm just, I'm here to like get, to let it happen. And she was like, great, because typically in our experience, when people have um, printed out or foldered birth plans, the chances of a C-section go up dramatically. And when it's laminated, emergency C-section for sure. (laughs) Good note, don't laminate. (laughs) Um, But but yeah, that made me laugh. Yeah, But I think it is. Yeah, you have to let it go. Yeah, the universe is response to that sort of mm-hmm. tightness and that need and desire for control. And like, I understand that deeply, but it is motherhood, if anything, is like a relinquishing of control and ha- needing to have trust and faith in the universe. Yeah, every day. Every day. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. 
That's like, that's, it's the total surrender. And birth, I feel like is the first real taste of what we get. And then it's like every other day mm-hmm. <laughs> until they move out. Yep. Um, Does it so, sound fun? Mm, I don't know. No. <laughs> it's not based on my mom and myself. Um, maybe it lessens a little bit. So you have, how old are your boys? Six and three. Okay. Yeah. Mine are eight and two. I have two oh. girls. Um, I like having the the double. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Do you have any, are you thinking about a third? No. no. My I, husband got fixed. Oh, he did? Really? Done. I I have an IUD, but I... I had that too. Yeah, I ponder. Mm-hmm. It, I, th- I <laughs> Just to get really goofy on everyone, um, I believe, I think that there's a potential for a third mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. is very persistent. Mm-hmm. And so, and very like... So I feel like she inserts herself into my thoughts and dreams all the time. I love that. I know, but I'm like, I don't even like that energy. I really don't need to be bossed around in my own You'll home learn. even more. You'll learn. But um, yeah, no, I don't I don't think I can handle a third. Maybe we'll adopt is how mm-hmm. I think of it. Um so I'm like, find another, find another way through and maybe, maybe we'll adopt you. Mm-hmm. When we're. Do you have the copper IUD? Or the yeah. One? Yeah, I know that too. I had the hormonal IUD, mm-hmm. which I really felt very uncomfortable not having a period. It mm-hmm. really freaked me out. Yeah. And my doctor had denied me the copper IUD. I'd had it previously mm-hmm. when I, I used to be on birth control and I was getting migraines. And this is mm-hmm. back in New York before I was married. And my doctor was like, you cannot be on birth control. And she gave me the copper IUD, which dramatically helped with my migraines. And then I really enjoyed the idea of not having any hormones in my body. Yeah. And then obviously I took it out. And then, and then in between and then after, he was like, you have such a propensity, particularly after my second for anemia, like you can't bleed like that. But I finally was like, I need this thing out. And, and so my, my new gynecologist, because he retired, was like, you are maybe the first patient in the history of my practice to make me take out the morena and put in the Paragard. Interesting. Yeah. She yeah. was like, are you, are you sure? I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I want to like, I feel like yeah. I need to get this. Get your cycle. Get my cycle. Yeah. Freaked me out. Otherwise, like the passing of time was strange to me and it mm-hmm. feels important as a yeah, woman to- Part of your health. Yeah, to yeah. bleed. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, TMI. There's no TMI. I'm a postpartum doula. There's no TMI. <laughs> Hopefully no one's having breakfast <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I actually got, because um, I tend towards anemia as well. And mm-hmm. the Paragar, the copper one, I got just crazy anemia. Mm-hmm. So I finally have to take it out. And so yeah. then my husband after the second got fixed. I wasn't planning on a second, but same oh. thing, little girl spirit. And I really feel like my oldest daughter called the sister in completely. Yeah. And then she got a chance and she's like coming in. Yeah, no, I think, isn't it in Buddhism? I'd always heard that we choose our parents. Mm -hmm. And, but I guess in Buddhism, the idea is that the oldest child chooses the parents and then the siblings choose the Mm -hmm. oldest child. I've never heard that. I'm a Buddhist. Wow. Thank you. I love that. Because I really feel that way. Yeah. I'm like, this is like their soul connection. And I was kind of the conduit for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just heard that. I hope it's factually accurate, but I like it anyway. I'm going to believe it. Yeah. I like it. So obviously you have brought Dr. Saralak into mm-hmm. the world on a bigger platform. Thank you. Because mm-hmm. he's amazing. He's and amazing. he's changed so many women's lives, myself included. Yeah. He actually like retweeted this maybe a year or two ago, something or on Instagram. And I screamed so loud. My mom was like, what's going on? I was like, you don't understand. Dr. Saralak <laughs> is like my Oprah. 
and he just regrammed me. Um, That's amazing. He is. He's just incredible, and I love that he took all the cues from his own wife mm-hmm. and seeing it, you know, firsthand. And you have shared about your depletion, mm-hmm. yeah, postpartum. Looking back, I mean, aside from the nutrient aspect and the blood work and all that, which is so important, but just looking back as far as expectations on yourself or within your own marriage, your family, what would you might have, you know, done differently to mm-hmm. help your postpartum healing? Yeah, I mean, the nutritional part obviously is significant and particularly because I both of my boys were incredible sleepers, like oh, sleeping amazing. through the night oh. almost immediately. Um, I know. So that was the other reason that it was. I was so, in a way, quick to be like, something's really wrong um, because it wasn't, it wasn't, I knew I wasn't maybe getting the best quality of sleep, but, but it wasn't sleep deprivation for me. I mean- and I think that this is something that you can't really prepare for, but even if you have incredible parents, like trending towards perfect, whatever that might mean, <laughs> I think that the process of becoming a parent is deeply, profoundly triggering mm-hmm. and for women and men. And I don't think that we that's part of the social conversation at all. And so... It might not even be apparent in the, you know, in those newborn and baby ways, but particularly as they get older and their knees change, I've found many times and I'm like, oh, not just like I'm becoming my mother, but the patterns that I found hurtful as a child, I'm bringing them forward because I'm not really being mindful of it. And like to give you an example, my mother grew up in scarcity, oldest of seven children in a Catholic family in Iowa. And her mom, who recently passed away, thank God, which I know is kind of a fucked up thing to say, but really did not know how to mother. And again, I should have more sympathy for her. Although my mom, I think, has never really, has always struggled to understand what happened because she loved her grandmother and got sort of love and resourcing from her grandmother. But my grand, my grandmother was not capable. Um, and she's one of those people that you meet, and then you meet her seven children who are these dynamic, caring, loving people, and there's just such a disconnect. Wow. But my mom never was never mothered, and she never got that sort of maternal energy and that um, for for emotional connection. And so... As a child, she was always doing, and that was her way of showing love is providing and being extremely competent and taking care of everything and making sure we had an amazing education and extracurriculars and all of that. And but it, but all, she would plow and she had energy, but it was only for that. And it, she would plow it into that, and then it would sort of come out the sides, like seep out the sides as guilt and a little bit of rage and disappointment. And, you know, I think she was just a little depressed. And, but the, but she didn't have a lot. She didn't really have much. Occasionally, I don't want to make her sound, I mean, she's amazing. I love her. But she didn't have a lot of energy for emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's been hard for me as an adult to like learn how to receive or to not 
make everything an act of service, you know, where I'm like, I'll just do all these things for my kids. And I'm so much more comfortable just like standing at the kitchen island, making food, setting up doctor's appointments, planning vacations, ordering clothes and diapers and wipes (laughs) than I am playing with them. Like it's very hard for me. Not very, it's getting easier, but only now have I been able to be like, recognize that in myself, that that aversion to that or that need to sort of like pull away from that um, or that desire to go to the doing that instead of being with them. Yeah. And so I think that that's stuff that, I don't know if you can work on it before. Yeah. But I think it's important to just know it's coming. Totally. Yeah. Even, even when you're like, but my mom, like I had a, blessed and amazing childhood and uh, like it's that can also be triggering because I think particularly in this age of privilege it feels really obnoxious to be like oh my mom like didn't cherish me I didn't like fill her with enough delight um but I do think that that stuff is real and then we bring it forward unless we start to sort of retrain ourselves yeah well there's so many things to pull from that thank you for sharing that Yeah, I mean, I also, like, I personally believe in reincarnation. So I also think we're bringing so many stories just Mm -hmm. forward and that each generation, there's such an opportunity for clearing, you know? So, I mean, sometimes, again, like, we all have trauma in different ways and you can't really compare one's trauma to another because we also all digest it differently. Mm -hmm. And categorize it differently. And no, and I, you know, what what do they say? Like, if you heal yourself, you heal seven generations. Mm -hmm. Before and after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is, and you think about that within your own family and then you think about how we're all connected and you think about how we're all taking all of our unhealed trauma and our wounds and then sort of like pushing them onto other people and the way that we interact in the world. But, you know, if you can treat that, if you can treat it and see it and get it out of your body, then what does that mean for like community? Yeah, I know. It's that consciousness and the knowledge and the actual time to slow down enough to go through it, you know? Because when you're just go, 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 you can't. I mean, there's no way to even look at it. Yeah. And I think parenthood and and motherhood in particular is like prime time for stuffing, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like very, it's much easier to just stuff Mm -hmm. it and deal with it later. Yeah. But I think, and, and I see a therapist now, even though I get so much therapy from sort of the people I get to interact with all day, mm-hmm. I still now I'm like, like really believe in therapy. And <laughs> you know, when I first went yeah. to him for sort of an intake, like I one I wanted to establish, like mm-hmm. I can leave if this isn't like mm-hmm. I don't want to be in a relationship where I feel bad and I'm worried about how you're going to pay your right. bills. And right. he was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> it's okay. People come in and out of therapy. You're not responsible Mm -hmm. for me, but just those boundaries were very important to me. You can leave at any time, you know, but I was saying, I was like, I'm just curious like Mm -hmm. about where I think about being a working mom of two, having a really intense, wonderful, stressful job. I write books on the side. I obviously my, I love my husband, but marriage is fucking hard. So hard. And (laughs) underline exclamation point. (laughs) And 
and and I've had trauma in my life and some recent, some not recent. And I'm like, I don't really know how I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how I'm continuing to function like this. And I just wonder if like, I worry about, I wonder where it's going mm-hmm. and where I'm putting it. And like, if it's going to bring me to my knees. Mm-hmm. And so that seems like something. And he was like, I don't know. I'm curious about you too. So mm-hmm. that was the beginning of our relationship. But I think, in motherhood, it's like, I'll do that later. And of course, some of that has to happen because not, there's nothing more pressing than no. children with needs. But if we don't take 10 minutes or 20 minutes to just feel what's in our body, yeah. then I don't think it's good for us. Mm-mm. And then we're bringing that all to the, our families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that, I'm just such a believer in then listening to you. I feel like it was yesterday because I was listening to the podcast yesterday but between you and Esther of just creating that space. And I feel like we're in this busy, busy mom zone, mm-hmm. especially in LA. I don't know if it's other places in the country. I'm sure New York, obviously, but I'm just feeling every afternoon, every free moment. And I'm really rebelling against that and mm-hmm. trying to do less and less and less just to let my kids be. And then I can just be, and we can just be in the house together, hanging out, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, it's actually so healing. Yeah. And it's something I'm really working on on the weekends, like not overbooking us, just my husband's home from work, family time, just without expectation. Yeah. And it it has created a space, which has been so nice. Yeah. And for us too, and what happened, it's interesting. So, and I don't want this to sound like a ding on public school because I really wanted it to work, but our six-year-old went to public school last year, really good school, 10 school. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it was a very hard and miserable experience for him, which then made me like panic, mm-hmm. um, as you can imagine, because you're, um, and he would cry every morning when he would wake oh, up and God. about going to school. And he just sort of had a teacher who did not find joy in children and probably should not have been a teacher. And he's very empathic and very attached to adults. And so absent that feedback loop, I think he just didn't know where to find himself. And he's very inquisitive too. So he needs to like follow the string. And when it's like, no, 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 you're going to sit here and do worksheets all day. He just mm-hmm. shut down and he ha- we had given him an iPad and it became dramatic, like very pronounced, like to the point where my dad, which is so helpful, was emailing me sort of multiple times a week, stories from the New York Times about screen time and screen addiction. And and then the weekends, which is the only time he was allowed to have his iPad, became really hard because, you know, he was sort of like cracking out for it by Friday at five and timing his weeks by when he could sort of tunnel into his iPad. And it was impo- so, if we were in the house, it was almost impossible to get him off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it became an extra layer of pressure for me to like figure out all the ways, to, things to do so we wouldn't be in the house and he wouldn't be on his iPad. But then we moved him into a progressive school and it just, compl- I don't know where his iPad even is. Mm, that's amazing. Isn't that weird? Yeah. He hasn't been on his iPad Incredible. since the summer. And um, yeah, I don't, but it was really interesting. He, he wants to play and, you know, he watches TV and stuff with his little brother and, but he wants to like do an experiments and engage. And it was really remarkable to me that 
someone, even at that age, that there is still that desire to isolate Mm -hmm. and how important confidence is and to feel seen. And so now, thankfully, to your point, the weekends, like we can really, really chill. Like he'll, he hangs out. Like he's not sort of on the couch with his head in Minecraft. Um, So great. I know. Just to find that connection. I think that's so important because, you know, we get on these tracks and we're like, okay, we got a maid now for grade school. And it's like, no, like each year Mm -hmm. is a different opportunity and your kid changes. And to be able to to honor them and honor your family and where, what you need and where you are. Yeah. And to pay attention. I mean, that, it was also a lesson in that because I was sort of like, well, he's, of course he's addicted to iPad. Like they all are. And, and there's no shame in that and calm down, dad. And I'm totally, I mean, I'd be totally fine with him being on his iPad on the weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad he's not, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting too, just like the, watching for that. Because I think we can also overschedule our kids to the point where we don't even have time to witness them as they're just being. Totally. And then you don't really know your kid. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It was, it's, it's really dramatic. That's incredible. Yeah. He sounds very happy now. I think so. Is your little one in preschool? Preschool, yeah. Just a maniac. Mm. Loves it. And they're so different. Like my oldest is really empathic, very sensitive, very rule and law abiding. He likes to chastise me for speeding. What's his sign? Um, he is April 26th. Can- cancer? No. I don't know what it is. Is it Taurus. Gemini? He's a Taurus. Because I was like a little bombed. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you, by the way? Sag. Oh, yeah. I'm Sag rising. Oh. Mm-hmm. I like Sag. But yeah, and my youngest is, it's funny because we just had his first parent-teacher conference and they were like, he's so sweet and empathic. And I was like, are you talking about Max? Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Because at home, my youngest is the dominant bruiser. Bulldozer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If there's someone crying, it's my oldest, not my youngest. So. I wonder if that's birth uh, order because that's the the same dynamic in our house. The little one. She says, I spicy. Like, cause we say you're well, like, you're spicy sassy. <laughs> and um, she's still really sweet, but she's like no wallflower. Like she's gonna be yeah. a ball buster. Yeah, maybe. It makes sense. But yeah. I, I I like, of course, and the idea is like you, your kids, you had a different parent than your sibling, and I'm yeah. sure we're different. Although I I feel like we were kind of the same. Like we were mm. really relaxed with Max mm-hmm. too. But yeah, Sam is just like. He's a stud. Like he, Max has my, I can have sort of goofy facial expressions and I like clench my teeth and I have a really gummy smile. And like Max is more like that as he Mm -hmm. ages Mm -hmm. and he's just goofy and odd and like wonderfully eccentric (laughs) and delicious. And Sam is like hot. I'm like, I think Mm -hmm. you're peaking as a toddler. He's got this like blonde surfer hair, which is very confusing to me because I have black hair and dark eyes and they're both blue eyed like my husband. Um, But he just like never looks awkward. Mm. He's just cool. He's just Mm -hmm. so cool. I'm a little intimidated by his Mm -hmm. coolness. Yeah. I I hope it's okay. I know. I feel the same way with my oldest too. Same thing. Blue 
eyes, blonde hair. Mm-hmm. It's like Cali kid. Mm-hmm. Like one, I'm sure life will be, I was talking to James Gordon. He's a trauma, he's a doctor, as a trauma therapist. And I was like, you know, we should all be grateful to our parents in part for like creating the things for us to work mm-hmm. on and yeah. giving us those lessons. And I worry about like, what hap- What? What about our, what if life is too easy for our kids? And he was like, don't worry about it. Let's, life is hard and everyone mm-hmm. has, everyone has trauma. Yeah. So. And the things are different too, because I feel like we're dealing with so much global medical, mm-hmm. you know, high-tech things that our parents never dealt with. Like they just drank the tap water and mm-hmm. ate the food. I know. It's like we have so many other layers to be dealing with. Yeah. It's a, it's batshit out there. It is. And I think for reckoning with um, sort of what we have inherited that has, you know, served people like you and I who are white and, mm-hmm. and what, how we undo that and how we sit in that discomfort and sort of parse like, what's fair and what's yeah. not. And we have that work to do for all these future generations. Otherwise we're just passing that on. And then we think about sort of what's happening in the environment. And I know it's like, I, you want to blame like the boomers mm-hmm. and they're obviously partially responsible, but we're also very responsible. I mean, most of this change, most of the climate change is a result of like the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so- so crazy. I know. It's like, God, we just went to a really dark place. But but it's a lot of responsibility, you know, yes. for unwinding or like the legacy that we've passed on to our kids. I think a lot. I always felt like, and I do, I am optimistic. Like I do think the world is getting better. And like, it's amazing that we're having these conversations instead yeah. of pretending like we don't have anything to talk about. Yeah. But um, we have a lot of work to do. And yeah. it's not, it's hard work. Yeah. And it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like every day it's kind of like, okay, what's the paradox I'm holding today? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's always something that's going on. And just being able to expand and expand and hold more for ourselves and our families. It's a yeah. lot. It is a lot. So what do you do to kind of ground yourself and stay happy? Do you meditate? Oh God, I wish. I mean, I. You know, it's just one of those things. Like I know it would profoundly, I know 10 to 20 minutes a day would be really good for me. And yet it's really hard. And I think it's hard for me always to not be doing. I do go to yoga. I try to go at least once a week. I go to this sort of, I call it geriatric yoga. And with this guy, Julian, who's a body worker and it's very somatic and you sort of do a lot of body inquiring and stretching and that feels very restorative to me and I sleep like I um and have finally gotten my husband on this tip like it took me a long time we were both sort of night owls in New York when we first met and could sleep in I mean I use that in quotes because it wasn't like it was in college but um I finally gotten him to a place where He's ready to go to bed at 9.30 yeah. or 10. And I I need like nine hours of sleep a night. Yeah, that's so good. I know. I get like eight, but I want nine. Yeah. But yeah, 9.30, I'm like done. Yeah. I'm like powering down. My husband's been asleep before me. 
Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Um, it's He's hard. an early riser. I'm not an early riser. Yeah, I would. Li- I don't like to get up, but I do. Like if I'm if I have any sort of exercise practice, I need to typically do it at like six in the morning. Mm. I know. And then do you come home and then do school run? And then I come home and shower and make snack and mm-hmm. breakfast. Do you do Tracy Anderson still? I do. Yeah. Do um, Tracy. That's very inspiring. Some yoga. I really like the dance cardio at Tracy. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels very cathartic for mm-hmm. me. And I definitely need to move my body and like get stuff out of my body for yeah. sure. Me too. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not perfect about it. Well, you're a busy woman. I know. So you, you got to do what you can do when you can do it and yeah. leave the rest. I know. Um, so were you into wellness before you started working at Goop? Because I feel like you've, you know, you've brought so much to this platform and the company and all of that. Were you interested in it before? Or? So I've always been, my dad's a doctor and my mom's a nurse. And I grew up listening to conversations about patients and around the table. Like not, that probably sounds like my dad's was disobeying HIPAA or something. <laughs> uh, no, no one I could identify, but like he and right. my mom would talk a lot about like, oh, the, you know, sh- this person was um, admitted to the hospital. My dad's a uh, pulmonologist, a lung doctor. And then, mm. and then, and so essentially an, kind of on an interesting spectrum, an intensivist. Um, and often pays to go to the emergency room to intubate people who've been in accidents or put them on, you know, put them on ventilators, et cetera. And then also, um, so a lot of sort of emergency intensive medicine. And then a lot of people with sort of chronic disease, emphysema, emphysema, et cetera. So he, and then he would be pretty much their primary care doctor. So he sort of worked on both ends of the spectrum. Mm. And I, my mom ran his office and I would go there after school on the city bus with my brother and read Highlights Magazine until I could file charts. And then I started typing my dad's dictation. Oh, wow. And it was interesting because like I learned a lot, but also I was like, why do you call it like pneumothorax instead of a collapsed lung? And it never made sense to me mm. that it was why there needed to be a different language. And same with legalese or um, like it bothered me that it was so like conversations above people's heads, which could have been translated so that Mm -hmm. patients could really know what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad was a great, he's retired now, a great doctor and highly intuitive, which was also very interesting to me because he wouldn't necessarily have named it like that. But like, I'm not saying he was house, but he could often, he would have called it guessing, but sort of intuit what was wrong or like sort of connect dots on things sometimes that were not necessarily there in the literature or there in the chart. Mm-hmm. So that was important to me. And then also just the finality of life. And, you know, my dad did a lot of care for people who were in their final days and weeks and you know, he was always very frustrated. And my mom is very morbid to the point of like, I don't want to talk about like who gets that painting. Like, I don't care. Like, she just loves that as a conversation. Like, I updated my will. I updated my advanced directive. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm thank, thank I'm, I'm grateful that you have gone through everything so I don't have to. But, um, but my dad 
you know, for him, it was this like, um, and he would have been a good palliative care doctor as well. And he sort of played, did that role as well. But the people were so afraid of dying, they couldn't have the conversation even when the conversation was in the room. And so he would have these conversations, he would talk to patients, wives and and people in comas and and like, do you do you know what the plan is? And like, do you know what he wants for people who aren't in comas? Like you need to have these conversations about um, yeah. end of life care and like no one would have it. So those things were all present for me. And I, but I didn't, um, I went to this hippie school. We really didn't have, um, we like made kites for science. Cool. In, Montana. in Montana. Wow. We didn't really have like a science lab or I didn't, I was very uncomfortable with chemistry. And so I never pursued medicine. And I sort of felt like really want to do it. I also worked in a hospital serving trays. And because I spent so much time in hospitals as a child, watching procedures, sitting at the nursing station, sitting in the emergency room, sitting in the doctor's lounges. And I knew all of the doctors. But then when I was working there, people didn't recognize me. And I observed how shitty, like how everyone passes stuff down there, and like how grumpy people are and how un, not this is a complete generalization, of course, but like, it was just sad. I'm like, this is not healing. Like walking this tray of jello and like congealed chicken soup into this patient who has like no flowers and is so happy to see someone and to, you know, for them to be like, can you help me just like adjust my bed, which I wasn't supposed to do, but I would do, who like just wanted conversation. Like I just, I didn't want to participate in that. Mm. But so depressing. it was so depressing. It is so depressing. It's like not, hospitals are not a place where people can get well. And, and so I sort of didn't want to do that. But I really liked nursing people. I liked, I always felt like it was those small things like yeah. lip balm and totally. like those, those things matter. Um, those little details. De- lotion and like what's happening with your lips, you know? So when I came to Goop, I, I hadn't worked sort of within wellness and magazines. It wasn't part of my purview. And, um, you know, when I met Gwyneth, I was like, say what? Like, what are you talking about? But then after I had Max, I met Dr. Younger um, about maybe six months later and I was like, I just feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And my doctor, who I love, is like, you're fine. Yeah. I mean, he finally tested my iron and was like, whoa, like you are s- super anemic. Mm-hmm. Like you almost need a blood transfusion anemic. I was like, thanks you're for like, caring. Nice. You know, I've been giving you some notes yeah. along the way. Younger was like the first functional medicine doctor who, um, and he's the one who connected me to Sarah Lack. They were friends. Mm-hmm. And he had me do clean program and he put me on D and nothing crazy, like yeah. not crazy. Um, D, B12 in like a methylated form. And mm-hmm. um, that's a game changer right there. Game changer right there. And a more absorbable iron. And I just felt like a different mm-hmm. person. I dropped all the weight. I think my hormones regulated. Um, and it was just from doing clean program. And 
that was enough. Like that was a lived experience for me where I was, I was, and then in talking to Sarah Lack, I'm like, this is bullshit because absent his intervention, everyone who looked at me was like, you're fine. Like, shut up. And then I would have gone on to have Sam and become more depleted. And that's, there's an expectation of women that like, that's okay. And that's part of being a woman. Mm -hmm. And I felt so, I felt so foreign. I felt, it felt, I felt like an alien in my body. And it's just, you know, you know that, like you can feel that voice. That's like, this isn't, I'm not well, like Mm -hmm. something's wrong. I don't feel like myself. I don't want to feel like this. This cannot be just because it's normal doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah. I'm like, it's not normal. Mm-mm. It's common. It's not normal. Right. right. So it's just so, it's like the walking wounded mm-hmm. with moms, you know. And then you're, you're, you feel terrible and it's hard to be kind at work. Yeah, and then and, you're like ragey with your kids. Yeah. It's like, you want to have kids, you have kids and then you don't feel, you know, it's just, it's this like horrible cycle. Yeah. That's why like, I'm so, I mean, I, I work with women throughout their whole journey, but that first six weeks, I just want to get in there and wrap them in bubble tape and with the food and everything so they can just heal as much as they can and then move on, you yeah. know? No, I think it's so important. It's and really I, important. yeah, it, it's funny. I felt like right after I felt like I really needed to engage with the world, mm. like a few days after Max was born, when I could finally stand upright, that took like a week actually. Mm. Do you have vaginal births with both? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were not small. Mm. So, and I had an epidural, which I'm very grateful for, but like I... I had all these ideas about like them getting stuck in the birth control birth canal and I just like blasted them out. And Matt, Sam, my second, was nine pounds. I was induced early with him. I was induced wow. late with Max, but with Sam because he was trending so big. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was just like, I'm just gonna go for it, which I don't really regret, but I probably, I mean, I just ripped. No. Sorry. Yeah. No, there's no TMI <laughs> in my life. Um, uh, I, when I could stand up, I was like, I, I just want to go to the grocery store. I just need to feel like I have some like agency here. And again, it goes to the receiving thing too. Like yeah. I was not comfortable being taken care of. Yeah. It's one of the biggest things for especially like really type A successful women, mm-hmm. you know, to slow down and receive. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. I don't know how to do it. So I have no advice. Well, it's a journey, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Are there any things that your husband is like, I can't hear more about the jade egg? Or like, are there any topics that he's just like, I can't hear anymore? Or is he like super into all of it? I wouldn't say he's super into all of it. He is sort of removed from it. Like, I think he, at, at a respectful distance, I think it's funny. He came to San Francisco with me for IGH, our last Ingupel Summit, and because he hadn't been to one. Mm. And it was our eighth. And I was like, I f- really feel, and it was hard for me to ask him mm. because I already, it's already uncomfortable for me to be seen the way that I am seen now. Like I just spent the first 38 years of my life sort of hiding behind other people, ghostwriting books, mm. like working for brands. And so it felt very awkward or embarrassing to say to him, like, I need you to see me mm. like this mm. because I need you to understand. Mm. And he, so he came. It was a little overwhelming for him because it's just like sea of beautiful women. It's like 98% female. Right. 
of all these sort of powerful women who are working on themselves and um but he stayed and had the I knew the food would be a good draw for him <laughs> and he got a B12 shot but yeah he he after was like I'm really you know glad I saw that it just like gives me so much more context and mm-hmm. I was like well exactly I just like needed needed Ugh, that so moment big. I know wow yeah mm. Because it is its own world. Yeah. And then all the women are like, I love your wife so much. She's changed my life. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was like, can you stay farther away from me? For some people aren't like, oh, that's Rob. Like, I feel like I know all about you and your marriage from the podcast. Totally. But it's, I think it's so important to, to bring that up and to have our partners see us and the mm-hmm. work that we do. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, my my husband made some kind of offhanded remark the other day, and it wasn't even horrible. Just about like vaginal steaming. Mm. I was like, you know, I do that, right? Like that <laughs> box right there. That's what I take to my client. <laughs> and he was like, "Really, you do?" And I, you know, they're like, "Yes." Like, do not listen to me. <laughs> so then he's like, "Well, you don't share everything," and I realized it was on me because yeah. I don't share everything. You know, I I'm so passionate about my women's work that I often cut him out of it. And it's really important to include him in it because we also have two daughters and I'm like a hardcore feminist about it all, you know? Yeah. Like even my eight-year-old's like, that's so awesome. That's a vaginal (laughs) steaming chair, you know? And anyway, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. All right. I want to be very mindful of our time. Are there any other things that you can think of, you know, words of wisdom or something that you still feel is a real need of mothers on their journey, kind of wherever they are? I think it's to be conscious of the triggers, you know, like when I just interviewed Amy Myers, who's a functional doctor and it hasn't, that episode hasn't come out yet. And she is incredibly strict about what she eats and what she allows her child. And she brings food for her child and her child doesn't know what Halloween is. And and she's young, she's two or three, you know, but she was like, I'm sure all the moms are like, you crazy lady. And I'm sure that that's true, right? And I think as women, what we need more than ever is to, when we have sort of those violent reactions, which I think comes from, I'm sure, for the women who see how Amy respond, how she is around food and her daughter, probably like, that's so controlling and restrictive and like, what are you doing? And da 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 But part of it comes from like, oh my God, am I poisoning my mm-hmm. child? Yeah. And so I think we all need to just be aware of it so that we can cut ourselves a break and then cut each other a break and just understand like we're all going to do this differently. And it can be overwhelming like moms groups and moms at school and you should do this and that. And we're all like, just do the best you can. And not don't worry about what other people are doing because I think it can be sort of a good place to then examine what comes up for you and like what's what works for you and what doesn't. But to also do that with kindness yeah. and non-judgment as much as possible. It's a really hard practice. Yeah. Um, but I think as women, as we try to sort of recalibrate this patriarchy mm-hmm. and find ways of supporting each other, and not operating from a place of scarcity um, yes. and not feeling like, oh, if she gets that, I can't have it. Like, that's how we, this is how we keep ourselves down, you yeah. know? It's, that's, we're 
we've been trained to do it to each other. And like, we all need to take the blinders off and just stop. And so that we can sort of reprogram our minds and, and the world. Like mm. it'll, it'll, we contribute without meaning to. Yeah. So important. And just to stop throwing each other under the bus and just respect all of our choices as women. Like we have to come together as sisters. Like that's the biggest thing about the patriarchy is like they did a great job, Job. you know, Mm -hmm. of separating us out. We don't have to love each other, agree Mm -hmm. with everything, but we are all related. Yeah. Okay. One last thing. Yeah. Tell me about your national mathlete championship (laughs) in eighth grade. So yeah, I went to the, there's, it's called math, um, math counts and it's sort of, creative problem solving. It's those whiz kids who like stand up on stage and do like eight factorial Mm. times, four factorial over three factorial, blah, blah, blah. And Montana is obviously a small state. It doesn't even, at that point, it had 800,000 people. And so, and I I went to this progressive school with this amazing math program. So I was really good at math and particularly that kind, like creative Mm. problem solving. And so I, I think I, won the city of Missoula's math counts competition. And then at the state competition, I came in second. And then there was like a speed round where I got knocked down to third because I don't do well in that type of competition. But so we were a team of four and we went to Washington, D.C. And my mom came and one of the kids was from very rural Montana, had never been on a plane, got super sick, threw up all over me. Um, (laughs) But it was wild. It was just like dork camp extraordinaire, but like with real, like, wow. I mean, I don't know where I place, like definitely probably like the bottom 25% because these kids are like, it was like Rain Man. I mean, it was wild to watch the winners on stage as they were solving paper. I don't even know if you were allowed to have pen and paper. I can't remember, but doing complex math problems sort of within seconds. It was, it was wow, cool. Wow, next level. It was like a good lesson in neurodiversity, that's for sure. Yeah, you're like, wow. <laughs> it's a whole other world. I love that that was in your bio. <laughs> I was like, I have to ask her about that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This thank you. This has been you. such a treat. And just thank you, you know, all my mom friends listen to you. Aww. And, you know, really, you're, you are over the internet bringing us all together in a new way. So. Oh, I appreciate it. Really thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Jai Mahi, Jai Mahi.